Oh, Scott, good to see you again. Right now, it is a uh, a deluge, a very hard rainstorm, but the, the wind is not blowing, and so it's just out there rather than all over. Uh, and so if it were, because there have been times when we've ended the call because of the weather. But right now, everything is just fine. It's just fine. So I'm sure that not only you, but everybody can hear the heavy rain. I can only, I don't hear it very much, like very, very little is coming through the microphone, but a little bit. Yes, I think it's possible that this is in the race camp for me. Yeah. Sometimes we hear bird calls, sometimes we hear cicadas, sometimes heavy rain. And the students will say, yeah, I think I could hear it. Well, it's just almost there. Rather than as loud as it is here sitting on the floor. So, you asked a question about right effort. And the answer to that is, uh, let us talk about it in a, in a kind of a highfalutin philosophical way of the right effort is the least amount of effort to actually get the job done. And almost always the job is to unhook, let go, to let drop away whatever it is, the hot potato that we're holding. So there should not be much to it. Yeah, because it's a skill. Go ahead. Yeah, because I think that's a that's a word that a lot of people will misunderstand. Because right effort, it gives the idea of like something, <laughs> like you got to put a lot of work into it. Like it's like effort. Like you got to have the right effort. But that's not really how it is. Like, okay, let's discuss that in the following uh, example. The example is, is that the mom goes into the kitchen and that she sees a great big pile of garbage. And she'd assume because it was her son's job that he should have done that. And so she calls in a whiny voice and says to come take out the garbage. So he comes into the, gar into the kitchen, storms around, putting the garbage together. He finally gets it outside, but he's in a kind of a bad mood while he's doing. Okay. Now the second example, that same boy at a, on another occasion walks into the kitchen and sees a big pile of garbage and, and has the thought, my mom would really be happy if I took this garbage out. And so he packs it away, he puts it outside, and he finishes with the job with the satisfaction that he's done a job well done. Okay. Now, which one of the jobs of taking the trash out was the most effort? The complaining and resenting one. All right. So now we understand the secret to one's right effort is to take the effort out of right effort. Take the resistance out of it. Okay, let's put some lubrication in there instead. 
That's like the. Go ahead. Uh. Yeah, like that's. I feel like that's the difference between uh, the practice you teach and like um, dry insight, for example. Like dry insight is kind of like uh, you. It's not fun. It's like <laughs> you're just like bulldozing your way through like suffering and like misery and stuff like that. Instead of just realizing that that takes more effort than just a slightly different effort of like making it fun and like enjoying it and like making it a, like a happy, a joyful cooperation. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with attitude. This is, by the way, is all in the suttas. <clears throat> but most of the people who practice it meditation in a miserable way get all of their instruction out of the Sudhimaga, not from what the Buddha taught. So that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. That what the sutras teach about is about pleasure, joy, um, gladdening the mind, removing unwholesome thoughts from the mind because they are hindrances to being able to feel like we're in control or to feel the way that we want to feel rather than feeling the way that we were taught to feel. That's really hard for a lot of people to accept that, no, no, my feelings, I feel the way I want to feel. Until they make statements like, I am angry, and then they recognize by that little phrase, I am angry, means that no, the anger is the bigger part of me. Who I am is anger. But that's not always the case. But who I am is whatever I'm clinging to. Yeah, but I, it's it's funny because it takes someone to tell you, or at least for me, that that you can actually choose how you want to feel to know that you can do it. Because up until that point, I thought that uh, the feelings were just like, they just come when they come and there's nothing you can really do about them. But, but um, you can... I don't understand, like, I don't understand how it works, but you can change them. Like, I just don't really know how, like, you just, like, every time I do it, like, every time I relax, it's, it, it's never, like, something that I can, like, put down as, like, one way, or, like, if I'm just, like, if I attach to, like, one way of relaxing, um, then it kind of just, like, it doesn't, it doesn't work the same way, because, because I, I'm not, like, fully relaxing I'm like holding on to like a way to try to relax and not actually relaxing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's right but so long as that we know that we're using that as a crutch that's all right because if we let go of that then what will happen well if we let go of that what will happen we don't know right so maybe from time to time, we can let go to see what happens. And watch closely and play with it as a toy. Yeah, play with it as a toy. Like that's a that's a good approach because then like it doesn't become too serious and you don't attach to it. 
it never was serious until we were taught to be serious. Then we take that serious attitude around with us and apply it to all kinds of frivolous things. Like sport teams <laughs> and politicians and politics and who slapped who at what Oscars. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff, it, it, it doesn't matter. There's nothing to it. But when we're serious, then we can get serious about all kinds of things, like Ukraine and Russia and the cost of gas. And look how many things people get serious about each other, especially them people who are different than what we're supposed to be, according to the rules I make. And I got my rules out of Leviticus sometimes, they say. Your rules what? They got their rules out of Leviticus, so it's okay to oh, hate Leviticus. Gay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> gay people are uh, super interesting, funny people. <laughs> well, that's nothing. because they take things seriously. But you have heard the expression that angels can fly because they take themselves so lightly. So when you start taking yourself lightly, you learn to fall. And every time you crash land, it's because something got heavy. <laughs> something became important enough to crash land our marvelous attitude. Yeah, like the the breath breath, for example, um, uh, like breathing meditation wasn't new to me, but there's two different ways you can uh, use the breath. Like you can either try to pin your mind, wrestle your mind down onto the breath, which isn't really relaxing at all, and it's just like it's kind of just like concentrating. But then the way you taught me like how to how to breathe like it's more like it's more like you you're like loosely holding the breath like you're not like trying to like i don't know <laughs> how, how how do you explain breath meditation <laughs> squeezing all the joy out of it you can yeah <laughs> on the out breath and then opening up to all the joy that it has to offer on the end breath. Yeah, like you, exactly. So like you enjoy the breath, not just focus on it. You enjoy oh, it. Keeps, I don't understand why people are not taught to enjoy the breath. In some corners of some religions, they see how important the breath is. Even in my church, the Southern Baptists have one of the hymns, Breathe Thou the Breath of Life. And the importance of the fact that without your breath, you don't stay alive. You have to keep it going. And here we are not paying any attention to it at all until we get out of breath. When we need more of it, then we're, then we're getting. Okay, so why don't we pay attention to it much more often with the joy of, hey, this stuff is really good. We're talking about a drug. The air we breathe is the best drug there is. It keeps us alive. Not only that, but if you breathe it right, 
correctly, then you feel vibrantly alive. How good can you feel? Well, breathe your way into it. And that probably has a, even like a, on the mundane level of things, it probably has a physiological aspect to it. You're, you're probably oxygenating the body more. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. At the physical level, the body is getting re, uh, wholesome repair juice mm -hmm. to set it right. And we're breathing intentionally. So giving ourselves more oxygen that we need and taking an out breath that allows the brain, uh, the, the cleansing of the lungs to throw out the carbon dioxide, the junk, and all the little things like the breaking down of amino acids, including adrenaline and the slow operating cortisol. Okay, so we can, in fact, breathe that stuff out with the intention of exhausting. That's why they call it an exhaust. Or when people are exhausted, they're out of breath. Okay, it's better to keep exhausting very well rather than getting exhausted, which means we can't get rid of our crap right now. So the breathing at the physical level, I wouldn't call it the mundane, but I would call it the physical level. It's very important for us to start paying attention to the breathing. It keeps us alive. That in fact, the exact opposite of that would be having pneumonia where the lungs fill up with fluids. Some of the fluids are pretty yucky. <laughs> and sometimes we can expel some of that fluid but a pneumonia is when the, the person can't and they can't breathe well, and so they die. But if someone even who has pneumonia can sit there and consciously take as deep a breath as he can and expel any of that stuff, he can actually clean his lungs out. Pneumonia might not be fatal, but it has a lot to do with the posture that you're in and what you do to get rid of the stuff, including the breathing that actually operates to exhaust or to um, uh, to take the uh, the warm uh, wet air inside the lungs and to push that out on the out breath so that you can take in new fresh air, which means that now you have a big exchange of um, uh, water, which you can see on a cold day when your breath is uh, full of moisture. That happens all the time, we just can't see it. And so continuing to breathe correctly <clears throat> will in fact put a lot of moisture and a lot of carbon dioxide and a lot of hot air out. Very cleansing, very nourishing to keep the mind focused actually on the kind of breathing that we're taking. So you don't have to take every breath as a long, deep breath, but you do when you remember to, and you remember often. There I go again. Did you remember to take a long, deep breath just then? I mean, you had a good memory. Let me see it. Yeah, I've been <laughs> doing it. I've been doing it this whole time. You just can't, my lungs are, 
my lungs are filling. Oh, you just can't see it. I have really good lungs because I used to be a swimmer. So I used to be able to, uh, I used to be able to swim like two laps completely underwater just with good. one breath. All right. Yes. That's the whole point is learning to breathe and to control that breathing. Since you've already been doing it naturally like that, your experience of Anapanasati is going to be different from the people who've never paid any attention to their breathing at all. But as a swimmer, you pay attention to the breath a lot. Mm -hmm. Exactly so. So congratulations. You've got about half of the uh, right effort already done. The effort to remember and to start breathing well. And then it just like relaxes the body. And then like every, all the stress is always held like uh, in your shoulders or something. And then ah, like everything just relaxes. Mm -hmm. That's what step four of Anapanasati most specifically says, but it's fully translated from what we would normally understand to be really relaxing in a relaxing way. And they call it tranquility, which is, you know, got many other connotations, including uh, dark guns. And what what happens when a dog or uh, a bear is tranquilized, he's out of it. Okay, but relaxed and alert is what we're looking for, not out of it. So tranquilizing is not a good word to use for many. Very few of us think of as someone who is tranquil is also right on the edge of being right here now. <laughs> he is not gone. He is not ignorant of what's happening. He's right there for it. In that regard, there is also a drawing at Watso and Milk by uh, Manuel Sherman. <clears throat> okay, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you just fine. Okay, uh, I was just I just turned off the Wi-Fi because the connection was bad, but I think it's better now. Okay. How are we connected without Wi-Fi by the cell phone? Yeah, now now I'm just using my cell phone data, and I, I think it's working better. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. So, uh, the whole point about waking up to be here now is very closely associated with the breathing. But that's only one side of the story, and it's the uh, uh, the point is also that in order to be able to control the breath, we've got to control the mind. If you are controlling the breath, what is it that's controlling the breath? It's the mind. And what yeah. is controlling the mind, we're not worried about, but the question is uh, that we are controlling the mind when we are controlling the breath. So that way we can get these two guys operating so that we can come in and catch feelings from both ends.
because if we can learn to control our breathing and learn to control and relax the body and learn to control and relax the mind, then we can also learn to control and relax the feelings. But there's the, the trick is with the Buddha is, is that we need to stir things up first in the sense of getting really good feelings going like pity and sukha the feeling of joy that then can settle into relaxed that misery doesn't settle into relaxed but joy can settle into relaxed misery will settle will uh settle into more misery yeah that's and, crucial that's, and so that's why we have to take it way up before it can come back down to an equilibrium. Is we got to, in fact, do the opposite of what we have been doing. We have to really get into the appreciation of how nice it is to be alive and how safe and secure we feel. Then we can relax. you're not going to be relaxed coming from terror to relaxation. You have to have that moment of joy, release. And in fact, that's what the whole point of a joke is, is to take the tension out of it and making some resolution. And that's what makes it funny. Is that there's a switch in there. And so that's the whole trick is, is to make your life a joke. <laughs> Rather than some <laughs> serious monologue like we've been practicing. Yeah. Every, everything's a joke. Everything is hilarious. <clears throat> because why not? Your choice. Why is it in our society that we've been taught that everything is serious? So you can be controlled. If you can figure out that it's really important, then you'll do what you're told to do. If you keep seeing what you're told to do is frivolous, then you are really hard to control. Yeah, that's like all fear, like all fear is based off control like people want to instill fear like that's the first thing if you work somewhere new and it's just like and it's not like a it's uh not like a really nice place to work the first thing the boss is going to do is try to intimidate you because then once the boss has intimidated you you're going to have that fear in the back of your uh i, I guess that's that happens a lot <laughs> Not always, I guess. There's a big, big spectacular. I I don't know if it's Shakespearean or not, but it was Shakespearean-like play called Cyrano de Bergerac. And uh, the let us say the the subplot of the, of this uh, uh, play is that he had a very large extended nose but that he had been teased about it for his whole life and had really gotten over it. Okay, so that's the first part of the movie. Then comes on the stage, 
um, <clears throat> a new commander or a new lieutenant that's coming into uh, the military organization who Cyrano de Bergerac is already the boss of. And this kid lays it on really, really heavy in front of the whole group, picking on him about his nose in a very humorous way. So it's a very interesting way. And finally, um, Cyrano de Bergerac um, <clears throat> uh, brings an end to it and kicks all of the people out of the room, except for this guy, this new lieutenant who's come in under his command. And he hugs him and he gives him a great big pat on the back. Because Cerno de Bergerac really had gotten over the nose and was in fact really uh, happy to challenge that this guy was challenging him. Okay. Now, the, the whole point of the story is, is that uh, what is it our most sensitive point? What is it that we're afraid of to get pointed out? And then figure that out for yourself. What's your most dangerous point? If you were to be exposed completely in your worst life, what would be exposed about you? What's your worst trait? What's your thing that you're most embarrassed about? Uh, nothing's coming to mind. Like, I just don't. That. <laughs> Yeah, if you, if you don't feel embarrassed about anything, like no Thanks. one can, because that's that's why uh, self that's why self deprecating humor is great. Like if you can make fun of yourself, you can get other people to be your friends and laugh with you, and yeah, not take right. yourself so seriously. Nothing to it, right? Taking nothing seriously. It doesn't matter what our deepest fears are, but if we have our deepest fears. Now we're going to be on guard. That's a, that's a, that our deepest fear is, in fact, the things that we're afraid of. And part of it is the, the fear of getting exposed, get caught. I, uh, would it be true to say that um, ultimately all fear boils down to the fear of death and the fear of dying? Because Well, that's the biggest punishment when we get caught. Is getting put to death. And something's going to catch us and put us to death one way or the other. But the self make the self-preservation instinct is buried deep within our genes. You can see that all the mammals, all the birds, even the snakes have a self-preservation instinct. They want to stay alive. Even the ticks, when I pull them off the dog, they'll do anything to hide. Like that, have a self-preservation instinct built in. Isn't that amazing? I'm not even sure if these dudes could breathe or not, but everything has that self-preservation instinct built in that eventually fails. Now, what do you think about that um, type of meditation where you contemplate like the the grossness of the body like some sometimes like i think the buddha is talking about how like the body will be like that too like the, a dead and rotting body like eventually your body is going to be like that too ultimately it, like it does about every two weeks and then i take a bath <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
when it gets really raunchy, it's time for a bath. <laughs> so experiencing the body getting raunchy, it does. I mean, it doesn't take a lifetime until old age for the body to get raunchy. It only takes a couple of weeks. Absolutely. That in fact is actually one of the rules of the Vinaya that I don't know of any of the cultures that keep. It's one of those rules that is kind of quietly and tacitly ignored. But there is a rule that monks should bathe only a fortnight, once every two uh, two weeks. And the reason for that was because at one time there was a drought and where water was very, very scarce. And so the monks are going to go to the ultimate about two weeks, and then they'll take a bath. And they do that for as part of the Paddy Monk ceremony at the full moon and the new moon times of the month. So I thought that I would lay that on you. You were talking about the contemplating the uh, 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 a raunchy body. Yeah, and it's good to play with one. Yeah, <laughs> as raunchy as that. <laughs> and I have one right there. <laughs> <laughs> that the body does get raunchy and it does so very quickly. Doesn't take years and years to keep the reason why it takes years and years is because every time it even gets close to raunchy, you clean it up. Take a bath every day or so. Then in fact, if you're really, really careful, you'll recognize that, hey, after one or two or three or four days, it gets raunchy. You don't have to go two weeks to get really raunchy in two weeks. <laughs> So yeah, that's something to play with. I have a okay. I have another question. <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> Been there, done that. I mean, it's marvelous. It's an, it's quite an experience. You probably will not get to take it to the limits that I was able to take it to, just because of the environment that you're in. I mean, if you've got a job, don't go two weeks with and those people. Don't want to oh, be yeah. around. I wasn't going to do that. I was more talking about, <laughs> yeah, I was, I'll just stick to taking deep breaths and being happy and stuff like that. I'm gonna stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, so the next question I was going to ask. <laughs> well, you ask about contemplating the body. Here we are doing it big time. <laughs> yeah. Or I mean, just like, like I meant like, uh, like thinking about thinking about like all of your because like most of the time we think about only the surface of our body, like instead like thinking about all of the organs. Like there's intestines, there's bones, there's fecal matter all this gross stuff that's inside your body that you never think about. Um, so I guess like, I don't, I don't know. I guess the purpose of like thinking about that is to like develop a, a detachment from the body. I would go so far as to say that we need to change slightly the words think about so that we can bring it more into existence in reality in other words where are your kidneys how can you feel that how do you know kidneys as kidneys what part of it is sensation and what part of it is imagination 
Okay, and then what is liver and where is the liver and how do you know the liver is where it is inside your body? Not because you saw a photo of some skeleton or something mm. it's because you actually know what a kidney is because you can feel it. And then what and is the stomach and what is the padding of the stomach and what is the diaphragm around the stomach and what are those muscles and how do they operate when we're breathing? That's all to be actually experienced. And by the way, this is in the Satipatthana Sutta. But by the time it gets to the Vasudhi Magas, wound up being beans and corn and and that kind of stuff, rather than actually looking at what's really there. So the metaphor is about what various grains are in a bag, but in reality is what real grains are in this bag, is to be experienced, to be examined to be played with, to be um, made friends with. What a marvelous machine this is, and we don't pay much attention to it at all. We just put it to work, and then we're more interested in the what the outcome of the work is rather than paying attention to this marvelous machine. From the inside. A lot of people spend way too much time at a mirror. I'm not going <laughs> is because they're in they're interested in what the body looks like from the outside in the sense of being attractive or sexual or something like that. But we're talking about experience. Yeah, I do. I do that a lot. I always look at my when I go to the gym I, and I getting that that lift on. I'm like looking in the mirror. <laughs> so looking feeling the muscle from the inside. Oh yeah, that's you have to do that to actually to be a good uh to get good at weightlifting and bodybuilding, you have to develop the awareness of ev- the little muscles that you didn't know, normally know how to okay. use. Oh, it's exactly yeah. so. Yeah. Okay, so this is something with the swimming and with the weightlifting and all the stuff that you've been doing with the body, you didn't recognize how close all of that was to Anapanasati anyway. That's super interesting. And so so now we can introduce Zen and the art of whatever they're doing in Japan, from calligraphy to archery to uh, all kinds of art forms, is when the practitioner begins to experience what his body is doing rather than the task that he's doing. To refocus our uh, our awareness out of the object that we're holding into the uh, positions of the fingers and the touch and the sensations of the touch of the object that we're holding. And if it's a heavy object, then all of the muscles that are involved with holding that object, because there's a lot of muscles going on. Wow, what a lot of muscles are going on when you just just do one curl. Just doing one curl and wow, there's muscles in the back of the hand and up here on the inside of the arm, the big one up here, uh, the way that it's attached to the shoulder. I mean, my goodness, look at all the stuff that's going on when we're uh, just doing one uh, one curl. Mm-hmm. And so this is what we're we're meaning in the sense of beginning to experience the body that way. Because then we're going to find where the tensions and the sorenesses are and all of that so that we can intentionally relax that too. And so this is one of the right efforts. The right effort is to really get to know your body. 
really get to know the breathing. But that's an easy peasy thing to do. All we need to do is take the time to do it. And, and we can and do it while we're in the, yeah, go ahead. And it's, and it's wholesome too. That's and another important. Yeah. yeah. So like while you're doing that, you're not uh, thinking unwholesome thoughts. Exactly so. so. Yeah. We're paying attention to reality. Now, here's one of the ways that I speak about it, and that is, is that the, the mind is the forerunner with the results of our understanding, and our understanding is a process called perception. And so we perceive things into existence, and then that's the world we live in, not the actual real world that came in through the senses. Okay, like the muscle in the arm right there is coming to me through the senses. And I can experience it directly. As opposed to thinking about the muscle or having a, an, a vision of it and the tightness of that muscle because of the way that I'm holding my fingers. And then I can relax that muscle by relaxing the fingers and then the muscle relax here also. But we do that through observation, not uh, mentally uh, trying to suss it out or figure it out or uh, think our way through it. It's through direct experience of that so that we then can really relax the body. But look how much work that took in the sense of right effort that we could have been spending all of that effort in unwholesome thought instead. And so one more point about that, and that is going to um, the traditional definitions of the word karma that the Buddha talks about. And that that is, you have heard it stated, good action gives good results and bad action gives bad results. And the Buddha was very clear that he agreed with that. That he's not going to say that bad action never gives any bad results. But he does talk about it in the sense of cause and effect relationships. But also it's hard to know what a good action is until we know the result of it. An example is that you buy some stock and then the stock goes up and you sell it at a profit, then buying that stock was a good action. But if we buy the stock and then the stock goes down and we're forced to sell because of the decisions we made about how much we bought on margin and all of that kind of stuff, so we have to sell the stock now, then buying it on margin was not a good idea. So that means then the result determines the value of the action in the first place. And a lot of people don't understand that. They just think that the action itself is to, is good or bad. And because of the action is good, it will give a good outcome. Things are not as simple as that, that oftentimes things are mixed this way. Another example of mixed is at a, a particular football game. Or never mind a football game. How about an election? The outcome of the election, if you like the outcome of the election, then it was a good election. If you don't like the outcome of the election, then it was not a good election. It was a bad election. 
But the reality was, was it a good election or not? Is not determined by the scientific data. It's determined about how we feel about the result. And so that's where most action is, is that it's mixed bag because it's got, you know, whatever answer it is, rather than actually looking at it. And so that's actually a third kind of comma, and most comma is a mixed bag. Very rarely do you have something that's absolutely good and is going to guarantee to have good results. But we can take such certain behaviors like that. There is also behaviors that we know that are bad and detrimental, and for sure, if we take those behaviors, that we're going to wind up with unwholesome results, the unwholesome behavior, okay? By kicking your, bo your boss, you're certainly going to have bad results. Insulting a police officer is going to certainly have bad results, right? So we know those that there, there are some actions that are going to give bad results. And so we can avoid those and also understand that some actions are good and have wholesome value. And we're going to then take those and gain the results from that. This is, in fact, learning that question is quite um, important, but we also have to learn it from the perspective of that most actions are just mixed. Just a mixed bag, that's the ordinary world. Everything is up and down and they judge what's good and what's bad, but often their judgments are not good anyway. <clears throat> so there is though a fourth kind of comma that the Buddha talks about. And that's what we really want to get to in the sense of right action. Because right action, actually, um, there is, it's expressed this way. There is a comma, there is an action that is neither bright nor dark, and it gives results that are neither bright nor dark. But it does bring the end of action. What does that mean? Action, it brings the end of action. This is one's right noble effort is to take just the slightest amount of action necessary to stop all of the other action. An example of that would be, aha, I see you, Myra. We throw that thought out and that little action right there saves us from a whole lot of whining and pining and whatever because we weren't mindful. So that's that's an, an example of that. We can see it like this also. Imagine that you're carrying around a backpack full of all your life's possessions. And that you're chasing gurus one after another all over India. And as you continue to travel, you begin to look into that backpack that you keep opening and taking the stuff out of and then packing it up and going someplace else. And you begin to start making the load lighter. I really don't have to carry a set of speakers. So I could throw those speakers up. Or I really don't need six pairs of underwear. Two will do. So you throw it out. And pretty soon your load gets light until you recognize that the major load that you're carrying now is the backpack itself. 
So why don't I just drop the whole load? Okay, so this is the uh, the idea then that we can start to let go of all the stuff that we were clinging to, thinking that we needed. But then someday comes along when we can say, oh, I'm just going to drop the load. <laughs> just all let it go. And what do we carry around mostly? We carry around a set of rules, a set of rituals, a set of ways things are supposed to be. This is the heavy load. Is how things are supposed to be. All of our expectations, all of our goals, all of our uh, baggage that we're carrying, all of our hurts. And how to avoid those hurts again. But if we drop all of that, then we can go ahead and get hurt. But now it doesn't hurt the way that it hurt it once before. Now I don't hurt much at all. Nothing to it. Oh, I can handle that. At one time being called a phony, that hurt. But now I don't care. So we can let go of those things. But we have to recognize whenever we're clinging to them, that, hey, I can let go of this too. I have to take that little advert to let go of this thing, and now it doesn't run my life anymore. Another example that I use is the trailer and a trailer hitch. And that uh, now that they've been, uh, let us say, scientifically uh, testing electrical vehicles to find out road mileage and all of that kind of stuff, they're beginning to recognize how much a burden it is for a sedan or even an SUV to carry around a uh, a camper van or a uh, um, a caravan or uh, a big trailer, right? But if you think about it, all it takes for the driver to stop having to carry that big trailer load of all of his possessions is just merely walk to the back of the truck undo the thing, step on the bumper, lift that trailer off, set it down, and now the car gets much better gas mileage. But we're not carrying our junk around anymore. We set it down. That doesn't mean we can't go back and pick it up sometime. But it's better only haul things around when we need to haul them around, and when we don't need to haul them around, let's not do that. So here's the way that we practice then, is we practice it all. Oh, I don't have to do that right now. I could just pay attention to this marvelous body and look at all the muscles and everything like that and really get a kick out of what's happening right here, right now. Instead of worrying about something from the past, carrying that trailer load of stuff around. Okay, so that brings me to uh, another question. Um, so the more the more I'm doing this, like the more I find myself just satisfied with the way things are, just like relaxed and enjoying this moment. Now I I uh, met this met this new girl that that uh um I like and I think she kind of likes me, and uh, but now I I I don't feel like talking to I don't know I feel like every time I get the feeling like oh I should talk to her more 
it feels like that's a desire. So then I'm just like, oh, I need to let go of that desire. So then I feel like I'm just never going to talk to her for like, how do you, how do you, how do you balance that between doing new things and just being satisfied with how things are? Okay. Uh, let me answer that this way, but that's actually quite a topic. And I invite you to call back so that we can go into it in detail. But I will give you a short introduction now, sort of whet your appetite. And, and by talking about it in the sense of learning to, um, <clears throat> let us say, take uh, the backseat driver's position or what is sometimes called the Sadie Hawkins. It's also known for February the 29th, where the girls are the ones who invite the boys to dance. It's the Sadie Hawkins dance, for instance. So what that means is, is that normally the relationship is, is that the man chases the woman, the woman runs away, but not too fast so that the man can catch her. Playing hard to get. Now is the time to reverse that so that you don't play the chasing game. You let her do that. And so you wait for her to call and you stay in the present moment. And when she does, then you can deal with her when she's there. And you'd be surprised that women actually are attracted to men who are laid back as opposed to the men who are on the make. Because this is actually Dhamma. Think about it. This is Dhamma itself. Don't chase anything. Just let things happen and enjoy them when they do. Yeah, that's that seems like a win-win because um let's say she doesn't uh call back or something <laughs> the whole time you're still enjoying yourself so it's uh -huh. like <laughs> yeah i can see that being good okay well let's leave it to that and we can talk about it deeper at another time okay and then we can sort of um as you go through it we can sort of do a blow by blow. I've got several students who I'm doing that with, including Keyshawn, that he's in the middle right of this of the Sadie Hawkins dance. And he's just overblown by <laughs> how effective it is as a as a way of living and not chasing. But just sitting there laying in wait. And that's ways you're playing a different game. A more wholesome game. So I think I think I'm satisfied with that. I'm satisfied with that answer. OK, all right. Well, let's leave it to that then, Scott, and we'll see you later. This has been OK, thanks for talking. Yes, see you later. Bye bye. Bye bye.